Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Tuesday, August the 22nd, 2023. It is the 20th Tuesday in Ordinary Time. It's also the Feast of the Queenship of Mary, the eighth day, sorry, in the octave of her Assumption. Our reading today is from the Gospel according to St. Matthew. This is according to the, um, the seasonal reading, the ordinary time readings. Jesus said to his disciples, Amen, I say to you, it will be hard for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for one who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and said, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For men this is impossible, but for God all things are possible. Then Peter said to him in reply, We have given up everything and followed you. What will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Amen, I say to you, that you who have followed me in the new age, when the Son of Man is seated on his throne of glory, will yourselves sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for the sake of my name will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So, wow, I could literally talk for hours right now, but I don't have that much time. I'm going to try to make this concise. First of all, this reading is just, it's part of the flow that's been going on here for the past number of weeks, just going through Matthew's gospel. I think we started, yeah, I mean, we started with John the Baptist, we started with the temptation in the desert, and now we're up to chapter 19, and we're just moving along here, and we were just talking about the rich young man, and Jesus is saying how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So we addressed that. I don't want to readdress yesterday's reading, but now Jesus goes on, first of all, about how it's hard when you're rich in this world's goods to enter the kingdom of God. And he says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Now that's, it's funny, I think Jesus is using humor there, but also it's a ridiculous thing to say unless you understand the context. It's ridiculous. Who would say that? Oh, a camel is going to go through the eye of a needle. What? I Can't we think of a better analogy? Um, <clears throat> I know women talk about giving birth and how difficult that is. I mean, that's at least more, an image that more people are familiar with. Uh, but we're talking about it, but at least, you know, people give birth all the time. So Jesus is trying to give us something impossible, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. That's crazy. That's never going to happen. However, it's a reference to something. And that is in the wall that surrounded the temple, though, or I think it was the wall that surrounded Jerusalem. There was a, uh, a gate. <clears throat> See, most people would go through the main gates of the city, but there was a gate that was called the eye of the needle. And you could go through this gate instead of going through the main gate. However, if you were a trader, if you had goods to either bring in or bring out of the city, you couldn't go through that gate. See, if anybody ever wanted to go through that particular opening in the wall, that gate, the eye of the needle, you could walk through it, but you couldn't even really get your camel through it unless 
you unload the camel. And then one person's pulling on one end, the other person's pushing on the other end, and you squeeze that camel through the eye of the needle. Now we have an image that (laughs) relates to our gospel. And it's a funny image. The camels are making a lot of noise. They don't like being pulled and pushed. They don't like being squeezed through a little hole in the wall. And they have to unload in order to fit through. And isn't that a beautiful image for you and me? We complain, we moan, we yell, we scream. One person's pulling, that's Jesus. One person's pushing, let's just say that's the Holy Spirit. And we're going, and we're like these big ugly things trying to get through this little hole in the wall, like these camels with these big humps. And we have to unload everything in order to get through. We can't take anything with us. That's how salvation works. We got to let it all go. And that's funny. That's a great image. When I think about myself, when I think about people that I love, people saying why they don't go to church. Well, I got this, I got that, I got this, I got that. They moan and complain. And then they ask, well, why is my life so horrible? Well, duh. Because God's here to save you from all that, but you don't want God. You want all the stuff that's weighing you down. And, you know, you try to, I mean, take a person to a football game. They'll sit there happily for five hours. Take a person to church for 45 minutes, you know, they make all kinds of noises and complain and, and it's craziness. Just like the noises that the camel makes (laughs) when you're trying to push it through the wall. So anyway, that's one image. And then they say, well, who then can be saved for men? This is impossible. So this is the next thing. All things are possible for God for men. This is impossible. And that should give us great hope. That should let us know it's it's okay. It's going to be okay. Once again, we got to let go of the things we cling to, no matter how much we love them. And we have to cling to Almighty God. And then Peter says, we've given up everything. What will there be for us? Now, this next part is very interesting. And I love the fact this just happens to be Tuesday of the 20th week of Ordinary Time. But on the queenship of Mary, we're going to talk a little bit about thrones in heaven that the apostles have been promised. How interesting. Okay. Well, amen, I say to you, those who have followed me, you will sit on thrones. Who then can be saved? We have given up everything to follow you. Jesus says, And everyone who has given up houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or lands for my sake, for the sake of my name, will receive a hundredfold plus eternal life. Now, in a different passage in one of the gospel parallels, it might be in Luke or Mark, Jesus adds wife, which makes us think, okay, Peter, have you left your wife? Maybe temporarily he's left her. Did he leave her altogether to follow Jesus? Well, when we see the official writing from the early centuries of the death of St. Peter, it talks about his wife being there with him at the martyrdom. I think this is in Eusebius. And then she's martyred as well. Why don't we celebrate? I don't even know her name. You know, why don't we celebrate her feast day as well? She's a martyr and she was the wife of St. Peter. I mean, really, who made the bigger sacrifices? The first Pope or the first Pope's wife? Uh, That's another whole topic right there. But let's get back to the reading. Those that have given up all these things will receive a hundredfold plus eternal life. 
but they're also going to sit on thrones. So what is the point of all this? There's so many points to be made here. Peter's always the spokesperson. We have given up everything to follow you. What will there be for us? Look at me. Look at what I've done. Somebody likes to say that I know very well. And then Jesus says, no, you're going to be given all these things. So there's a trust that needs to happen there. When we follow the Lord, when we give up things, when we're selfless for the sake of the kingdom, the Lord will compensate us for that in many ways. But also this idea of thrones, let's take it now to Our Lady. People don't want to admit that Mary is important. Certainly there are people in other Christian denominations that are upset that we would celebrate a feast of Mary as queen of heaven and earth. This is not a dogma of our faith, but it is a doctrine of our faith. It's still a very high-level teaching. And why do we celebrate Mary as queen? Well, it does follow from the assumption. It follows from her motherhood. Let's talk about that for a moment, because there's scriptural evidence for this as well. I mean, I want to get to this reading and how this is just so important for our feast day. And this isn't even the reading for the feast day. The reading for the feast day, I think, is just the Annunciation reading, which is also amazing and wonderful and has so much to say to us about Our Lady. But first of all, let's talk about kings and queens in the Jewish tradition. A lot of times we think that the queen is the wife of the king. And I guess in a lot of other cultures, that's how they do it. In a lot of other countries and kingdoms over the centuries. But... Back in the time of the Jews, especially during that time when they lived in the Holy Land, their capital was Jerusalem, and they had kings. There was only a certain period in which they actually had kings. Well, the men, especially the kings, had many wives. And a lot of times the wives kind of came and went, you know, they were in favor, they were out of favor. We even see that with some of the other kingdoms, like in the story of Queen Esther, who was the wife of, um, oh, I'm thinking of the, the, the name that they give him in scripture, but he was also King Xerxes, uh, who was one of the Persian kings. Uh, this is before the Greeks took over, but Anyway, the queen, yeah, in that culture, yeah, there were queens coming and going because the king, oh, yeah, I don't like this queen anymore. Let's pick a new queen. And that's why Esther was chosen at one point. But in the kingdom of the Jews, it was not the wife of the king. It was the mother of the king that was the queen, the queen mother, which does a couple things. Number one, it means there's never going to be a woman ruling the kingdom. I mean, that's how they were back then. They didn't want a queen being in charge of the kingdom, unless, of course, the king is a child. And I guess there were a couple cases where that happened. So the mother has a lot more say. But this way, there's always a man who's on the throne and they don't have to go back and forth haggling over, well, which wife is it? And he likes this wife this week. He likes that wife next week. And then this one died. And then what about this? And who, who, who comes next? And, and, and this way, you know, there's no issue over, uh, having to choose and having to, uh, look at some rule for succession of Queens or something like that. No, it's very simple. There's always a King, at least during that time in their history, 
And whoever is that king's mother, if she's living, she gets to share in the throne. She gets to be recognized as the queen, which is why Bathsheba, one of the reasons Bathsheba, the woman that was married to Uriah the Hittite, and then David slept with her, and then David killed Uriah, and then he took her as his wife, etc. David wanted Solomon, his son, to be the king. This was revealed to him. This was his intention. And so Bathsheba fought for it in the end. When there was a thought that another one of the sons was going to become king, David made it clear, no, Solomon is to be the next king. He is my son. And Bathsheba fought for it because now this makes her the queen mother. So in the Old Testament, I believe it's Psalm 145, it talks about how the Messiah is going to have a queen. Now, how interesting. I tend to take scripture literally And a lot of people out there do, and a lot of people claim to, but once again, this gets ignored, that Psalm 145 talks about how there will be a queen when the Messiah comes, and the queen will receive praise, and the queen will sit on a throne next to the king. And Jesus didn't have any wives, but even if he did, it's not the wife who becomes the queen, it's the mother. And so the Old Testament is predicting, not just here, but in other places, the importance of Mary, that the Messiah will have a queen. It will be his mother. She will share in the queenship. It doesn't mean she's the Messiah. She's not the savior, but she's the mother, the queen mother. So that's part of what we celebrate today. But let's get back to this current passage. You will sit on a throne of glory you will while the son of man sits on his throne of glory you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of israel now how interesting is this jesus predicts the apostles sitting on thrones with him in heaven and then when john has his vision in the book of revelation he sees one of them being his own throne he sees the 24 thrones in heaven around the messiah around god If we have any doubts about Jesus being God, well, that spells that out really quickly. Jesus is the son, the second person of the Trinity, and he and his father are on a throne in the center of heaven. And there's 24 elders sitting around, 12 tribes of Israel and 12 apostles, and they judge and they have power in heaven. And what else do we see in the book of Revelation? A woman In Revelation 12, clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She is not just crowned with gold, she's crowned with the stars. And there's 12 of them. 12 representing Israel, meaning she's a queen of Israel. 12 representing the church, so therefore she's the queen of God's kingdom. And she labors to give birth to a son, one who will rule all the nations with a rod of iron. This is a reference to Psalm 2, a reference to the Messiah. And it says this woman gives birth to the Messiah. So in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, there is a queen seen in the heavens. As John is having a vision of heaven, literally, he sees that there is a queen the mother of the Messiah, and she wars with the devil. He says he sees the dragon, which is also the ancient serpent from Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, it was predicted that she would crush the head of the serpent. 
And now in Revelation, she and her offspring, meaning all of us, do battle with the serpent, which is the dragon, and all of his offspring. And it says he chases her at first, and he tries to devour the fruit of her womb, which I heard a beautiful talk given a little while back about how that's initially a reference to King Herod trying to kill Jesus. And there's a lot of symbolism in there referring to that, but it also refers to all of us. She gives birth. She labors in pain at the cross to give birth to the church. These are her labor pains. Not when she gave birth to Jesus. That was a virgin birth. But she gives birth to the church. It's very painful for her. We are born from her womb as we are reborn in the baptismal font. Because she is the one that gives birth to Jesus. It's all connected and it stays connected. She labors in pain to give birth and we are all given birth to from her. Once again, she's not the Messiah, she's not the Savior, but she's his mother. She participates in a unique way. This is another doctrine, by the way, her unique participation in our salvation. So we have a queen, and she intercedes for us, and she sits on a throne in heaven with Jesus, and she was assumed into heaven body and soul. We talked about that last week, and that has to do with her immaculate conception. Her body doesn't have to undergo corruption. And so Mary goes up to heaven. She is the fullness, the fulfillment of what we are called to be, not just in heaven, but at the resurrection of the body, body and soul in heaven. Mary already has that with her bodily assumption, and she sits on a throne with God as the queen, the queen of the universe. I wanted to say one other major point. Like I say, we're at 17, 18 minutes right now in the sermon, and I could go on for hours, maybe even days talking about this. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. And I do want to give more talks as part of this podcast, just on various topics, including just talking about Mary and how important she is in our faith. But remember, this reading began talking about the rich and how those who give up everything are going to be given thrones in heaven. Those who hang on to everything will not make it to heaven. It's like the camel going through the eye of the needle. All the things have to be purged. Mary, in her life, we see it in her example, but we also hear it in her words, her Magnificat. The Magnificat reveals the mind of Mary, and there's so much wisdom that comes through that one prayer about the mind of God and what he intends for our salvation. Mary lives in total poverty. Remember, there's no room for them in the inn. Mary then follows Jesus as one of his disciples. All she has is Jesus, and then she even loses him at the cross. She is a woman of great poverty. She is a woman of great silence. One of the reasons various denominations don't recognize Mary as being all that important is because her focus is on Jesus. She doesn't draw attention to herself. There's not a lot said about her in the Bible other than the things that really need to be said. And these are all the the key moments of salvation. In all those key moments, Mary is there. She's there at the Annunciation. Of course, it involves her. She's there at the visitation, the birth, the presentation in the temple, the finding in the temple. She's there at his first public miracle, the wedding of Cana. She's there as one of the disciples throughout the preaching and teaching of Jesus. 
She's there in Jerusalem for his passion, his death. She's also, she remains there. So she's there at the resurrection, you know, one way or another, even though, all right, she's not in the particular resurrection accounts. If Jesus is appearing to the people he loves, guess who he's going to appear to? You know, okay, we, you know, there are people who argue this or that about Mary. Well, maybe she wasn't conceived without sin or whatever. Okay. I believe she was conceived about sin. This is our Catholic faith. But even if she was the worst sinner in the world, which she's not, heaven forbid even having to say that, but even if she was, Jesus is still going to love her. Otherwise, what kind of example is he for us? He tells us to love everybody. Of course, he's going to love his mother. So you know he's going to go appear to her at the time of his resurrection. And she's probably waiting there. She's waiting there with new clothes for him to put on. She's waiting there with his favorite meal. She's waiting there with a big hug because he's human and he needs a hug. He's emptied himself of his divinity. He needs hugs. He needs his mother and his mother's there for him. And then she's there at Pentecost praying with the new church preparing them to receive the Holy Spirit. She who is the spouse of the Spirit and received the Holy Spirit first in order to bring Jesus into the world. So there's so much here about Mary's poverty, which also then leads to her queenship, according to the words of Jesus. So Mary lived poverty, and then in the Magnificat, she speaks about poverty. Isn't it, I just find it so interesting, and this is going to be meditation for me now for the rest of my life, why, you know, Mary's given this one little prayer in the Bible, the Magnificat. Mary really doesn't say a lot, but she's given this one moment, and it's her prayer while she's with Elizabeth, my soul magnifies the Lord. We say in the New Translation, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Blah. We water it down, don't we? But anyway, whatever. Okay. We say it that way. We could say my soul magnify. I think the word magnify means so much more. And it tells us what Mary does. She magnifies Jesus. She brings Jesus to us. She helps us to see Jesus better like a magnifier does. Anyway, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the lowliness of his handmaid. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. And she goes on to say in her little opportunity to speak, and this is all we're going to have from her in the Bible. I mean, yeah, we can talk about apparitions and things like that. And even her apparitions don't contradict this. They go with it perfectly. But when we consider what she has said in the Bible, never mind at the wedding of Cana, do whatever he tells you. That's the last thing she says. Do whatever he tells you. Okay, mother. Yes. You know, that's a great thing for me to always remember the rest of my life. But in her Magnificat, what does she talk about? How God will take those who are mighty by this world's standards and bring them down. You know, there's a lot of good kings. There's a lot of good leaders out there. We've made some of them saints. But those who are mighty in this world will be made humble. And those who are humble will be exalted. Those who are poor will be given great things. And Jesus is going to talk about this more and more throughout his ministry. The Beatitudes are the ultimate example of this. But also, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink, etc. And these are the ones going to heaven. The ones that didn't do this are going to hell. So this is what Mary's all about. Poverty in this world. Not poverty of the Spirit. She's filled with the Holy Spirit perfectly. 
but poverty in this world's and and I mean yeah blessed are the poor in spirit Jesus is of course Mary is going to have poverty of spirit too but I I mean in terms of being filled with the Holy Spirit, Mary's top on the list in that regard. Jesus isn't saying in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who don't have the Holy Spirit. He's saying the opposite. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. In other words, not attached to the things of this world. In other words, I mean, there's a lot we could say about what it means to be poor in spirit. It means to be humble. It means to not think too highly of yourself. It means to be lowly and to make yourself a servant of all. Getting back to Mary, this is what she did. Those that are poor, those that are lowly, those that are humble, those that look at the Lord as their only inheritance, and that's all they want, those are going to be given the greatest rewards. Versus those that fill themselves up with this world, they're going to have everything taken away. They're going to have nothing left. They're not going to have any room for any anything else. They're not going to have room for the Holy Spirit because they have already received their reward, and that reward is not a good reward. So I need to end it here. It's about 25 minutes in. And I, like I say, I could talk all day about Our Lady because I love her so deeply. And she's helped me so much. And she, this is what she does. She just loves us. She's her whole purpose. You know, God is love. Mary, we, we were all created for love. But Mary fulfills that vocation perfectly better than the rest of us put together, her vocation of love. So we thank the Lord and we just express deep, deep love to her and to him on this day that we celebrate the queenship of Mary. Let us always pray to her for all of our needs, realizing that she's a good queen who's on a throne next to a good king, and they want to give us every good thing as good parents do. Have a great day. God bless you.